recording. Today's date is September 18th, 2022. We are reading from the big book of AA and Kim, I just dropped the, the reading through my couch. So it's, I can't reach it. I know okay. it's- so have, we, Yes, yeah, so today we're gonna to be reading from page 101. The paragraph that begins, so our rule is not to avoid, two, and including paragraph 102, which starts out, your job is now to be. Thank you. AJ will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Marie J. Hi, AJ, recovered compulsive overeater. So our rule is not to avoid a place where there is drinking, if we have a legitimate reason for being there. That includes bars, nightclubs, dances, receptions, weddings, even plain, ordinary whoopee parties. To a person who has had experience with an alcoholic, this may seem like tempting providence, but it isn't. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you would better work with another alcoholic instead. Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. If you are with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you're getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Your job now is to be at the place where, they may, where you may be of mass, maximum helpfulness to others. So never hesitate to go anywhere if you can be helpful. You should not hesitate to visit the most sordid spot on earth on such an errand. Keep on the firing line of life with these motives and God will keep you unharmed. Hi, is it my turn? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure the... Um... Recording was off. I'm sorry. Um, hi, everyone. I'll introduce our speaker now, Marie J from Colorado. Hi, good morning. This is Marie J from Colorado. And I'm really grateful to be here. And um, let's see, I've got uh, about 30 years in and out of the rooms. And I joined OA nine years ago. And um, that's when I got serious about recovery. And then in 2016, I really became the biggest big book thumper. And uh, it really, really changed my life. What it brought me was emotional sobriety. And what it brought me was a trust 
in higher power. And what it brought me is a personal relationship with higher power. And so these last nine years have been very impactful in my life. And, and the first, uh, the first years, you know, 30 years ago, I had to do what I had to do, but I spent a lot of that time staying in my victim and asking why, why me self-pity and all of that. So I had to do that for about 20 years. Thank you very much. So this paragraph or these paragraphs um, really are about motive and uh, joining, rejoining life, rejoining life, celebrating life, getting back into life. And I think about um, my early recovery when I was drowning in self-pity and, and really asking why all the time. And over over nine years, especially in studying this book, I've learned that why doesn't even need to be ever in my vocabulary. It is such an irrelevant question. And all it does is enable me, oh dear, I think my computer is, uh, sorry. Um, so all it does is you know, enable me to continue to stay asking why me, why me, why me? And, and especially when it, it relates to this paragraph of going back out, going out and rejoining life and even going into places like donut shops, you know, that's a big one for me, like going into the donut shop when I, when I recovered, it was my kid's sixth birthday and, um, or my first meeting in OA was my kid's sixth birthday. And we were having a huge birthday party for them after the meeting. And on that day, I quit sugar, I quit alcohol, and I became abstinent. And it's really remarkable because I came home and had this huge Costco cake with frosting all over it. And, you know, I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be there, but I had a legitimate reason to be there. I was the mother of twins on their sixth birthday. And I got frosting all over my fingers. And I looked across the, the yard and saw my sister standing there who is in AA and she's my, my Abby. She brought me to my first meeting and I had this frosting and, you know, Costco frosting is my total kryptonite, right? Like that was the thing I was most addicted to. And I had this panic look on my face and she came running across and she lightened it for me. She grabbed my fingers and she licked every one of my fingers and she made me laugh and it separated me from that fear. And it also helped me to reconnect and rejoin. You know, one of the sentences in this that is my favorite in these paragraphs is that um, while we're in the food, we are withdrawing from life. And that's what I was doing. You know, every plan that I made with friends, with family was all around what was I going to eat, going out to lunch, going out to breakfast. Everything was who do I want to go with because I want to go here because I want to have this food. So relationships did not matter as much as food mattered. And that's no longer in my life. So now I can go anywhere. Um, and also... This other thing about withdrawing from life, you know, I, I'm a really outgoing and friendly person and I know people like me, but inside my heart and inside my disease mind, I'm terrified of people. I don't have, I, I don't have solid, vulnerable, authentic connections. I keep myself really superficial. And 
it's that fear. It's that withdrawing from life because I'm afraid of whatever. I'm afraid of judgment. I'm afraid of not being good enough. It always comes down to some kind of fear. And so then I don't want to, I want to withdraw and not take part. Another thing that, um, that this reminded me of is in the early days, again, my kids were six and they were in soccer and dad was the coach. And so every week we'd go to the soccer games and, and then the whole, the whole community of soccer families would go to Lamar's donuts. And, you know, I can smell those donuts a block away. Right. And so I'm walking up to the door and I got to go to the donut shop and my whole motive, you know, this talks so much about what's our motive for being in places. And I didn't want to be there. And I was afraid of the people and I was withdrawn from life. And I was new in recovery from, from uh, sugar addiction, but I went and, and I had tools to practice because it also says in here, we must have solid spiritual ground and make sure that our motive is good for going and into these places. So where I used to want to go and have social relationships because I could eat this thing at this restaurant, now I was starting to learn. And in early recovery, it was hard. It was hard to go into the donut shop every Saturday morning and have that flood of sugar, you know, when you're, when you're abstinent from it, like I can smell it so much more. And and then it started becoming sickly and it was just a really unpleasant time all the way around. But then it says in this, these paragraphs, our job is to be of maximum service. So that's when the motivation started changing for me. Like, okay, maybe somebody else is uncomfortable in here. You know, we're all a bunch of families who have one thing in common. Our six-year-olds are in soccer, but we don't know each other. We don't have relationships. And I'm the coach's wife, you know, maybe my job is to go make everybody else feel comfortable. Maybe my job is to go meet everybody else and find out about them. And, And suddenly, I mean, that's like the motivation shift, you know, how can I serve in this situation that is terribly uncomfortable for me and it really pushes all my buttons of wanting to withdraw and and pushes my buttons of already being terrified of people so now i have to so what do i need i need a spiritual ground i need to be oh you know what i'm not paying attention to the time is somebody going to give me a time yes mm-hmm. okay thanks <laughs> just give me a couple minutes to end okay. it Um, so, so that motivation change, which took some time, um, and practice, that's the other thing we have to have a spiritual grounding. It says in the book, we have to change our motives for being somewhere that we don't necessarily want to be. We have to make sure that other people are not uncomfortable with, with us being there because, oh, now you have to accommodate me because, you know, I have all these needs and it's a lot to juggle. And so when I was young in sobriety, young in, in, uh, abstinence, I was always thinking about myself and what can I get out of this situation and how am I going to navigate it? And, you know, it's so stuck in my own head, but with a spiritual grounding and surrendering it, and just, you know, I, I spent many hours in those, in those donut shops going, God, tell me what I'm supposed to do, you know, higher power. 
what, what am I, what am I doing here? Right. And with practice, with the spiritual grounding, with a spiritual practice, a daily spiritual practice that keeps me connected and keeps me grounded in higher power, constantly feeding me my motivation for doing things. And it's, uh, the, the practice piece of the spiritual, you know, this is a spiritual program. This is a spiritual program. That's the bottom line. We have to be abstinent. And sometimes we spend a lot of time talking about abstinence and food and things like that. And we've got to get there in order to be able to practice the spiritual program. But once we get into the spiritual program, we have to also have to understand that every day I have to be connecting. Sometimes it's three minutes and sometimes it's three hours. You know, the the rules don't have to be there to say, what does it mean for me to get spiritually grounded, to get connected to my higher power? I just have to do something every day to practice that or it slips away. And, and then, and then what happens? I go back to withdrawing from life. I go back to being afraid of people. I go back to being uncomfortable in my own skin. And what we know is the practice is one day at a time and the results come sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly. So we just have to continue to figure out how to continue to build that muscle of faith. And um, can you tell me how much time I have? You have like 13 minutes. Awesome. 12 minutes. So I'll tell, I'll tell another story. Um, at Christmas time, um, we have a tradition and uh, it's, it's to make this sweet bread called Bula. And every year it's such a big event. And I remember the year that I had the motivation change, that I switched from being in fear around making bula. Bula is a sweet bread, it's full of sugar, it's full of butter, it's full of flour, I don't eat any of that stuff. But it was such a tradition and my, my nieces would come into town and they would be here and my children were small and they would wanna do it. And it's the kind of bread that you braid and it's cardamom and it smells so incredible. And, and it's, a, it's an event, it takes like 10 hours to make this bed where you raise it and then you don't raise it again and you braid it. And, and it's really a fun event, but, but the smell of it again, it was like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna do this? How am I gonna be in this uncomfortable situation? But letting go of the tradition and my, my nieces would come in from Oregon and Colorado, or California, and they would look so forward to coming to Aunt Marie's and making bula. So the year, and I don't remember what year it was that I had the, the switch, because I would still always make it, but I would still always crave, and I would still always go back to self-pity, and why me, why does I, and, and I finally, sometimes you just, I have to just shut that thinking down, you know, I just have to have a thinking change, like, just stop it, why not me, or what, is this so bad, would you rather have cancer, you know, like, I mean, everything is relative. So, so I got to go through this for a couple hours, but again, that was like kind of the negative input instead of being positive. Like, what can I bring to this situation? How can I make this connected? And here I have all these beautiful people. My sisters would come, my nieces would come, my, my sons were there. 
And I suddenly was able, because of my spiritual practice, because of being able to be connected and surrender to higher power and say, okay, I'm in this for a reason and I'm in this for good. So I'm in it. What do you want from me? What do you want me to be? How do you want me to be? And so I, that year, we put a picture up of my grandma, who we call Mumu Ovaskainen. She's a Finn, and she had a big round face and red hair, and she was just something else. And she's long gone, many, many, many years. And we put a big picture up of her on the, on the cabinet. And we all took pictures with Mumu because she was the one who had the recipe for us to make bula. And so we did this whole honoring thing of the generations and making an event of it. And it's the best Christmas I ever had. Oh, I'm getting emotional about it. Because I wasn't withdrawn. You know, when we, when we allow higher power to flow through us, it's really remarkable because everything else goes away. All the pain, all the whys, why me, all the self-pity. You know, my life isn't hard. It's not hard anymore. It's a joy. We make Christmas cookies and we decorate them with ice, icing and get 17 colors of icing and we make these cookies. And it's a craft project for me. I can't even smell the sugar anymore. That's the miracle, right? And so having the spiritual grounding and having a motivation for being of maximum service to the people who are in my space. And it's, it's so powerful and everybody feels good. Nobody's trying to accommodate me. Nobody's trying to say, oh, Marie, she needs this and she doesn't eat that. And, oh, be careful. And, you know, I used to be kind of bitchy about it all because I was, I was self-pity. I was a victim. And the best thing that has happened to me is getting out of this victim mode and thinking that my life is so hard because I have to be abstinent. And, and I don't mean to say that with any kind of shame or guilt, just, just changing my motive for life and being grateful. I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually quite grateful that I don't eat sugar and I don't eat gluten and the other myriad things I don't eat because I'm healthier I um, have more energy and being with my kids is more fun and being present and looking to see how I can be of service to other people and making them comfortable and, and making them happy and making them feel like they're part of things. Like rather than withdrawing and being in fear, which drove my entire life, I'm now engaged and it's not easy and it takes practice because I'm still not a person that is really that comfortable with people. I'm, I'm light years ahead of where I am. So it's all about progress, not perfection. But when I get into awkward situations where I don't know anybody in the room, being the one who goes up and says, how do you do is a real hard thing for me to do, but it always comes out, you know, because I surrender it. I, I I'm like, okay, I'm willing to do whatever it takes God 
just tell me what you want to do, want me to do. And then I'm given the strength. I'm given the power to go connect with people and not withdraw from life. Um, what else do I want to say here? There's two minutes left, Murray. Thank you. I'll say this last thing. I have a new definition of what it is to be human. And, and I also apply this very much to what it is to be an addict. And it is one who stumbles, one who stumbles sometimes more and sometimes less. So I sometimes stumble more. I'm still a human being. I've been recovered a long time, but it doesn't mean that sometimes I don't stumble more. And I, I strive to be a human being that stumbles less. And how do I stumble less? By staying connected to the power that feeds me and drives me toward love and goodness and kindness and tolerance. So I'm so happy to be here. I'm so grateful. And I will say I'm done. Thank you. Pass. Thank you so much, Maria.